Welcome to another episode of the Emulsion Podcast, a show for chefs who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and I'd love to continue the conversation with you from this episode on my online circle community. There you can share your two cents and learn about supporting the show on justinkana.com slash support. For your convenience, it's also linked up in the description of your podcast player. Let's get into the show. My guest today is Aaron O'Leary, a chef who's changed careers and now works in tech, specifically at the very well-known Product Hunt, for those of you that don't know. Aaron and I met over Twitter, as many great uh, internet relationships start, and a conversation about me getting on Product Hunt with all the kind of gear-related stuff that I do on the channel kind of sparked my interest just to record our conversation here and see what he can potentially teach us about startups and pasta, specifically, because I know that's big for Aaron, (laughs) and then just memes in general online. This is the typical part of the interview or the intro where I attempt to kind of Spotify recommend you another related interview, but I honestly can't say where this conversation is going to go. So consider this a new ingredient to the bowl that is the metaphorical emulsion here. And so we will use this as a comparison for future conversations if everybody doesn't mind. So if at any point you want to check out Aaron online or any of the kind of specific linkable things that we talk about, you can always check those out on justincona.com slash media or they are available in the description of this podcast. Thank you for being with me, man. I'm really excited to chat. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I uh, had a kind of unique career path, but it's going to be exciting to talk about it. So as a fun way to get a sense of, of that story, of your background, I'd be curious if you can remember those two crossroads, if they end up being that in your mind as a story where you wanted to be a chef, like for real, for real. And then the moment when leaving kitchens was actually like on the table. Like if you could walk us through both of those moments in your career. Yeah, definitely. They actually both start in um, England. So I'm originally from Ireland, still in Ireland, but I moved to England briefly. And I met a good friend of mine, Abadezi, while I was cooking over there. And it was actually that time when I wanted to come back and um, was when I was really dedicated. I really wanted to stay in in the industry. Um, uh, but at the same time, I had built a community with Abadezi called Non-Tech Tech. It was essentially to help uh, non-technical people land uh, technical roles uh, in tech, <laughs> naturally. And um, it grew quite well, really enjoyed it. And um, so went back to Ireland and I was, that was in late 2017. And had in my mind, I was like, okay, going to keep going with uh, being a cook, you know, love it. It's what I want to do. And then anyway, as it turns out, Abadezi worked at Product Hunt. And there was an internship going. And this was now about a year later in 2018. So I was Sue at the time. And I was tired, naturally. So um, I was talking away to her and she asked me if I knew anyone because I was pretty big into the tech scene as well. I just said, hey, look, you know, um, it's it's different style, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. Um, I had my interview and somehow <laughs> remarkably landed the job. And um, it was actually kind of in between the point of landing it, the point of interviewing and landing it, that I kind of knew I did want a career change there. I realized I was tired and one pinnacle, like one really important part stood out to me was that the passion for like, you know, being a chef wasn't really there. It was that I was passionate about cooking, but they're two completely separate things, really. You know, they obviously cross over, but they're two totally different branches. You can be passionate about cooking, but absolutely hate working 12 hours on your feet um, and vice versa. So it was kind of that, and that was kind of the sealed the moment there when I realized that I was like, right, I'm going to make the jump and go into tech and see how I get on. And it's been just over two and a bit years now. So congrats. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> especially during pandemic times are, I'm noticing changing from one of the, and, and it's funny that I have the opportunity to talk to people who approach it from both sides, people in a nine to five who are thinking about, you know, maybe this, that side is not for me. I want to do something more, you know, hands-on or, food related or engaging with my culture or whatever, getting into food. And then like you're talking about, it happens from the opposite side. You acknowledge these negatives and then things draw you away from the kitchen for, for one reason or another. But I guess as 
being able to, to have hindsight on your side now, is there anything that you would tell yourself as you were going through that transition, whether it was pain, I, I'm sensing that it wasn't as like dev, completely devastating, but is there something you would have told yourself back then now that you have kind of like the future and you know what it's like? Um, I guess don't be so nervous, maybe. Um, that kind of uh, wrecked my brain for like three months, kind of every day. I thought, you know, if I made a mistake, I was going to get fired. And that just wasn't on the cards because I work with some of the greatest people. Um, I think that was it. Uh, that really kind of, my anxiety really built up during that, you know, switching a career, uh, switching a path. And um, yeah, um, was don't be nervous. And then as well, there's a lot of crossover between the two industries. It doesn't seem like it is, but the two industries are very heavily based on community, right? You know, so like being a chef is just like, it's about putting a smile on someone's face, you know, during a uh, dinner shift. It's about that culture and everything, but so is specifically anyway, my role in tech, you know, it's about fostering that culture, putting a smile on someone's face, especially watching their product launch. So I would probably go back and say it, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, um, you do have the experience despite you thinking that you might not. And um, you go do a good job. And in hindsight, I think it was a really, really good, really, really good switch. Um, I do intend to actually go back into um, the restaurant business at some point uh, post COVID, maybe a few years down the line. In what but, capacity? Yeah. As, as an owner or as. How yeah, so? an owner. I think I. I think I'm done being behind the line. I think of being owner. Um, ideally, you know, I've kind of had the idea of like, you know, getting the three stars, having that restaurant. But like, ideally, what I would like is like a walk-in, fresh pasta store. You know, a takeaway pasta store, and uh, just serves good, super affordable fresh pasta that like literally anyone on the street can buy it. And if you can't buy it, then you know, just take it away. It's fine. I want to double click on a couple things there though, because there's elements that you brought up of acknowledging, like it, I, I talk a couple times with a couple of previous guests recently. So this is top of mind for me about like self-awareness in your work and in yourself, mm. like, because, you know, as chefs, just based on the amount of hours you spend working, it can, it can frequently like over start to overlap where it's like identity in my, in my career. And so yeah it's it's it sounds to me like you had these moments of like being able to identify there's actually a lot of shit that comes along with this role and i i i think that there's there's a sense of actually embracing those things and if you can manage to enjoy those those elements of it you actually know you're in the right kind of space but yeah. even there you're talking about like i want to get back into it in a different capacity cuz there are these things that i do enjoy about this so um i mean i guess resources that you you found like helpful in developing that self-awareness or, or processes that you walk yourself through to try to kind of identify those things to make better decisions? Yeah. Um, in terms of resources, I can't say I would have any resources um, other than, you know, it sounds cliche, but uh, talking to my mom, my mom was a chef as well. Um, uh, she loved it, but she went through the kind of same uh, path as me, just not with tech. So talking to her, um, that helped a lot. And kind of just coming to that, like, self-actualization, um, you know, I kind of realized, end of a shift, uh, I would, my dinner would be cereal, <laughs> you know, just a bowl of cereal and um, a glass of whiskey, I had a glass of whiskey, and <laughs> I realized I wasn't really enjoying that, because I, lo I love food, like, the best part of food for me is eating it, it's not cooking it, it's eating it, I love eating, um, so I realized I wasn't enjoying that. So when I talk about kind of going back into the restaurant industry um, as an owner and not a chef owner, to be exact, um, it's really to do with that side of things. You know, I don't want, to, I've come to the point that I don't want to be run off my feet constantly. I don't want to be waking up at those hours. Um, I don't want the stress of a dinner service behind the line at the very least, um, maybe front of house. And Really, I just want enjoyment while also taking pride in, you know, the food that comes out. Because me being me, you know, being a chef, I'm going to unfortunately have a say in what comes out. I can't stop myself. I'm, I'll, I'll just be a little perfectionist there. But, um, yeah, so in terms of resources, I wouldn't have many, but it's just this kind of self-actualization, you know, really zone in on what your passion is. And, you know, pe especially when it comes to cooking, people say, 
passion is uh, cooking is my passion but there's so much within that you know and for me was it cooking or was it actually being a chef they both have a Venn diagram but they're not the same thing you know I have a very similar relationship with my mom where I kind of like, I'll just rant to her for, you know, 45 (laughs) minutes and then she'll give me some advice. But is there anything that she happened to say or any particular questions that you asked her that, that really kind of like helped in that situation? If you can remember, because you know, it's a very, for me, it's always very emotional talking to my mom when I'm at those crossroads, you know, but she's helped me a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the main question I asked, I actually asked her was, should I do it? Because uh, she knew kind of how dedicated I was to it. And it was a big thing for me to kind of follow in her her footsteps as well. You know, and the advice that she was giving me was that basically if I'm not enjoying it anymore, then I have to leave. And of course, we went down the financial side of things and, uh, you know, what can I realistically earn as I kind of move up through the ranks? And... Um, one thing that she said to me, uh, which is the thing that I kind of battled with a lot beforehand, was that w- even if you do leave, you're still going to be a cook. You know, you're still a chef. You still have the skills. Because I feel that title comes with a lot. Um, you know, you earn your stripes. And it's kind of a thing to be able to say that you are that. Um, and there's a lot of kind of imposter syndrome that I, I get and a lot of other cooks that I know they will get. So when she said that to me, that was kind of like, you know, okay, then it's kind of okay to leave because, you know, I did my time um, and I don't have to prove to prove myself to anyone anymore. Um, so that's kind of really what set me on the path. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. It was going to be my next question. How do you keep food as a part of your life now? Because I, I think that people have this fallacy that if they leave professional kitchens, like you're saying, they, they're somehow mm. like having an affair with food or they'll be considered <laughs> lesser than. And, and I'm curious yeah. if you felt any of that or advice you have for someone that might be feeling the kind of side effects of that and how oh you keep God. it a part of your life. Yeah, I- Absolutely. Um, I absolutely felt that. And I'm talking like at least like six months, I felt that. And there was always this kind of, do I just quit and just go back? You know, it really felt like an affair kind of moment. <laughs> but um, what I actually started to realize was that I am actually, I've actually learned more about like my skills and advanced my skills after leaving the kitchen than I actually did in the kitchen. And I chalked that up to not having bad mentors. I had fantastic mentors that, you know, I absolutely adore but more so that I actually had the time to hone my skills at my own pace. And then with that as well, you know, my relationship with food is different than to being a chef, but it's one more of appreciation and education. You know, I've learned different cuisines, different cultures, and then as well, keeping that kind of side hustle going as well helps. You know, I've cooked at um, uh, company retreats and stuff, um, gone in behind the line every now and again just as a kind of refresh so kind of keeping on the side is good but um you know as long as you kind of keep learning you know keep on top of the trends if you want to and zone in on exactly what you're passionate about uh, when it comes to food and then really use your spare time to kind of keep going with that then you will be okay and and that kind of feeling will kind of fade into the background sure do any principles from cooking professionally come to mind that have particularly served you well in this new role at product hunt and and please be specific too because i think that this there's this um common trap that people fall into which is just like working really hard is their answer for these sorts of things (laughs) but but in my experience it's almost always deeper than that um and so i'd be curious curious what's what's been beneficial for you yeah absolutely um, so the first one, and this might be a little bit cliche, but it, it is genuine, is timekeeping. Uh, I learned timekeeping through kitchen. So and specifically transferring my time uh, keeping skills, you know, when you're doing dinner service into a calendar blocking kind of system of, you know, how I handle my tasks. I have a lot to do each day and um, that has come in super handy. Um, as well as that, then there's this other one, which is empathy. Um, you know it's kind of this popular thing to be the angry chef or whatever, but you know, um, you don't need to be that. And I think a lot of people come to realize that. And it was something that I came to realize as well is that if you're empathetic with someone, 
in the kitchen, they'll be way more open to learning and correcting their mistakes. So that's something that I kind of brought in, especially as I kind of became a little bit more senior in my role and had people working under me um, as interns and stuff was that, you know, even if they're there a year and they make a mistake, you know, as opposed to just shutting down the laptop and freaking out at them or whatever, it's, you know, be empathetic, put yourself in their shoes and see how best you can approach the situation to tell them how to do the job right. And 99.9% of the time that works and that's probably the most important skill transfer I've had from that and I, it feels weird to say I learned empathy from the kitchen but <laughs> sure <laughs> you know? and well the nice part about that approach is that even if it doesn't work you at least can feel like a morally sound human being you know what I mean like yeah, exactly. I was never the screaming and throwing kind of chef but I can only imagine like how do you feel when you go into the locker room or into the dining room after you have a blow up like that like I just wouldn't feel yeah. great like I would feel like icky icky slimy not not great you so the reverse. So you're talking about, you know, potentially entering back into, into culinary, like the culinary mm. sector at, at later times in your life. And I can only imagine the chef that's lucky enough to get to work with you will want to leverage experience that you've gained from working in tech. And so I guess, what have you seen in tech, whether it's at Product Hunt or in the sector in general, that you think, you know, if chefs did this, this would actually be really beneficial for them? Yeah. Um, I'll probably focus on like kind of chef owners um, in that kind of question. And that would be kind of harnessing the power of community itself. And, um, you know, you can scratch the surface and just be like, have a social media account or whatever and post some pictures. But what I'm really talking about is like going deep into that and actually developing a community um, within that. You know, you can see some Instagram pages that do it well. There's, I can't remember the name of it. I should remember the name of it because it's my favorite place. But there's <laughs> this path. Uh, this pasta shop in Canada, I think it is. Um, they have a huge Instagram, but they did it really well, which is creating this community of like-minded people within uh, social media that want to see your updates. And they have fans from all over the world that don't get to try their pasta, but are super engaged in the videos of their studio, of their fettuccine coming out, everything like that. So I think that's like kind of one that the key things is to like learn how to leverage social media, but within social media, learn how to actually develop a community of engaged folk in that. And that's not, Hey, check out our set menu today. That's, you know, posting update pictures of a next recipe. That's getting ideas. That's doing some live streams behind the line for the fun of it. You know, that's just having fun, having the ability to have fun online, I think is probably the best way I could put it. There's, it's so crazy because it's um, – I told myself when I left restaurants explicitly and I was moving to from Europe to Seattle. I was living on the west coast of Norway and I moved uh, to Seattle and I was going to start doing pop-ups. And I told myself like I, I had this resume and experience and skill set where I could – real if, if someone was doing what I thought was wise to do in – this was 2017, which was this combination of like – Yes, cooking for people, but also like we're talking about leveraging the current system of the internet in in, a, in an intelligent and yeah. business savvy way to create a business model that was better than what I had seen at restaurants prior to that. I would have gone and worked for them. Like if that existed, I would have gone and but and we're only kind of starting to see now this kind of like first generation of um, things kind of turning over where you're seeing you know like. Um, uh, Andrew Ray of like binging with Babish has finally opened his stuff up and he's starting to be like a culinary universe kind of thing now and bring people mm. in to work for him or, you know, Bon Appetit for all their fiascos. Like they're, they're they have their <laughs> first so round of alumni, right. Who have worked there. Yeah. They built the content there and now they're going off and doing their own thing. And so what are you seeing work in that space? Like, and feel free to get very tactical or very like macro, like what works, what doesn't work? And, and maybe what do we have to throw out to move forward as the guard is changing kind of thing? Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. In terms of that and um, what works is personality. That is the single most important thing you could see, especially again, for all the fiasco, Bon Appetit, their first alumnus, uh, look at Brad Leone, you know, look at Claire. Um, it wasn't food that brought people 
Um, and there, it, it wasn't even the content, really. It was who these people are. And that's how they got such a cult following. You know, I could watch Bradley only all day. <laughs> um, and I don't like Bon Appetit after the fiasco very much. Um, so, yeah, personality, um, absolutely. And then you go on to informative. But informative has to change, I think. You know, you can see it like all the older kind of cooking shows. You can even see in older Bon Appetit videos. It was very just, you know, and now you add um, the flour to this, whatever. That has to go, but it still has to remain informative. And in terms of that, that's kind of doing a deep dive into why certain things react the way they do when you do it this way. Uh, Andre did it pretty well, I think, with uh, his kimchi video, as did Joshua Wiseman. Um, so that's something that needs to stay and needs to be advanced on, I think. And then in terms of, like, Kicking stuff out in, in, in that is um, one ego. Uh, you can like you can see it kind of everywhere in the older videos. Um, chefs are too much ego. They come in with the toe cat and they come in with the big coat and the full set of knives. Everything uh, that's gotta go. That's not um, millennial Gen Z style and um, the kind of standard of what I mentioned just a while ago. The boring infomercial kind of style content that has to go. So. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the the measures of um it's like how you calculate the net worth of of a of a business or an oper- like previously it's like how big is your brick and mortar or how many plates are you serving on a weekend mm. or whatever, but there's almost like like as we're getting more creator economy, like that's gaining more gravity and things are kind of like pooling towards there. It's almost like like I heard a great podcast episode today about um just how Duncan is just, you know, positioning itself ahead of Starbucks in certain realms in content creation because it's like they partnered with Charlie and they're having their staff produce TikTok videos and they're like the most followed yeah. rest like food account on on TikTok because they were just willing to embrace this. And that's an example of you know, and, and someone from the old guard adopting some of these new principles and actually ending exactly. up innovating. Um but yeah, it, I don't know. Any other like cool examples or things that you've seen done well? There's no rule book for this, right? Like, there's no university you can go to no. for this, and so it's all changing. And so it's, it's like how how sponge like you are actually ends up resulting in better output for you, hopefully. Yeah. Um, another thing as well, actually, is and this is going to sound cliche, and I'm going to get roasted in like <laughs> my group chats first. I know I will, but it's a vibe it's your vibe you know what's your vibe like you said there it's not about how many plates you're serving how many tables you have it's not about that anymore you know that is very much the old guard it's you know how people feel going in you know does it feel cool to sit there do you want to take a picture of it i'm not just talking you know take a picture like 2009 instagram i'm talking you know how is the lighting is the ambient i think one place that actually did like does a really good job and unfortunately last time i was in new york i didn't get to go there is lucali's in Carroll Gardens, um, you know he he doesn't do much online, but uh, this shows like the power of like vibe. Um, before he got big, was that you know he has this candlelit restaurant and he rolls out pizza with a wine bottle. Um, for was it like ten tables at a time or something? And um, that like the vibe alone uh, spread word of mouth. And uh, looking now, he has was it two. Uh, food related shows I think and um, he has a line that's about 10 miles long every <laughs> night mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think like vibe and personality are probably like your two most important thing and like you said about Duncan getting on top of that trend um, in terms of TikTok you know that's like super super important and Duncan did a really good job because they actually gave the brand a personality they humanized the brand is there and you're the you're the perfect person to ask this to because it's 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 been on my mind and I, I don't I haven't played it out far enough to see what it looks like, but is there a risk of things going too far where, you know, at a certain point there's a chef that is exclusively, and I'm not talking about like the, the robotic AI avatar kind of thing. I'm talking about someone who Mm. is just like, they're so good at making one dish for the camera, but they actually, you know, like they fall to pieces when they, they do their pop-up or something like that, because it's like the, in like, I just hold such a romantic attachment towards restaurants and their ability to actually serve people the thing that you're well known for making. 
And I feel like yeah. at certain times it's like, it doesn't always happen with these influencer creator led things. And I, I'm the, I'm the person who agreed that the hybrid model is the way to go, but like, yeah. does this get to, is there a negative side to this? I guess. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. Um, I mean, bring it back to restaurants, you know, first and foremost, you need to know your shit. You need to know how to cook before you even go online, before you even think of setting up your Instagram, you need to know what the hell you're getting into and what you can do and what you can. And I've, I've had experience with these people and they're not like, you know, huge influencers, they call them micro influencers. They have two or 3000 Instagram. Um, food looks fantastic, you know, online, but you know, getting in with a pop-up with them, they just kind of fall apart. Um, so yeah, you can definitely go too far. I think when there's too much of a focus of making your food look good online and, you know, getting those vanity metrics, you're kind of going to lose sight of, you know, the repetition it takes to kind of get to being able to output, say, your spaghetti carbonara that good every single time. You know, if you if you do that, like, homogen once and you get it right, fine. But if you put it down and you don't pick it up for a month later, <laughs> you're probably going to mess it up. So I think, yeah, there's definitely this risk of just being chronically online, especially when it comes to being a chef. And I say that as someone who is, as my job, chronically online. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a, yeah, we're all, we're all learning and it's all, yeah. I don't know. I just hope that there, there isn't a sense of like people getting hurt in this process. Cause it's like, anytime there's something new, it's like you have the, uh, what is it? Like the. The, the idiot who jumps off the cliff trying to do like the the yeah. the reverse double backflip type of thing just to show yeah. off to people and it's like yeah. you know people have you know we have to do that to see how far things can go at, at a certain extent but i'm just um yeah like huge huge props to you for like getting the um just the the the, the real world experience and and really defining that for yourself like you know Yes, I like this part, but I don't like, you know, other certain elements of it. I, I, as much as people talk shit about like, so my culinary school required six months of restaurant experience in part, mm. in turn with your application in order to get accepted to the school. And I can only, I don't know the data on it, but I can only assume the amount of people who just like do that time. And then yeah. just like crumple up their application and throw it in the trash is just like, yeah. you know, probably, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that number is, but it's like, you have to, like, there's a certain element of like, you can't sub for real world experience. No, so. you can't. And that's actually, that's actually funny because um, I know like seven people that went to culinary school as well from my uh, high school and only one of them actually went into you know the real world experience and he in fact he was actually the only other one that like had the experience beforehand you know so he knew what he was getting into but the rest were just like i want to be gordon ramsay right <laughs> right, right, right. Or whatever and uh, unfortunately it didn't work out for them uh you know it's not something to be taken lightly but yeah what you said about uh jumping off the dog backflip that's um that that that's that's actually really important because i've seen that myself you know people get one physically hurt because you're dealing with some sharp things and some hot things in the kitchen and two emotionally hurt because um and i've been on this end myself you know trying a new recipe that i think i can absolutely do get too much of a big ego at times and then you know you kind of get emotionally and mentally hurt and you kind of throw your own kind of hissy fit and i think that kind of comes back to that you know running before you can walk and um, very dangerous thing. Well, I'm, I'm even, it, it relates to both. I, I was actually referring to the, to the creator led stuff. I don't know if you're following along with oh, like this, yeah. whole da this whole David Dobrik vlog yeah. situation, you know, like he, he, that's an example of taking it too far, you know, like trying yeah. to create this environment that's as dramatic as possible for the vlog. Um, yeah. I mean, we touched on the Bon Appetit thing. It's like you test how how much you should pay people that are on your team versus, you know, like, and it's like certain things just like are not okay. And and we're, we're, we're learning all of those things. And it's like, you know, certain business practices and just like moral things. It's like we yeah. know that. And that's why it, it irks us so bad when we see it playing out in situations like this. But it's it's almost like... um yeah, you just until it it gets market tested, that's when you actually realize like, oh, this is this is okay or this is not. Yeah, exactly. We've been seeing that years now as well, and um, in a way, it kind of feels like it's almost getting worse because uh, there's this there's such this competitive streak within like the creator economy. You have to be number one, and you know, I think back to Logan Paul when mm -hmm. he did the the Japanese forest. 
uh, that was bad, you know, that was real bad. But um, as we kind of going forward, we're now in 2021, you have the David Dobrik scandal. You know, it's getting more and more serious. Um, and people are really pushing the limits, either intentionally or unintentionally. But um, there's a serious risk there of, you know, people getting hurt, you know, the creator getting hurt and ruining their lives. And then also that, you know, bystanders getting hurt. Like in this case, you know, someone was severely hurt with this and um yeah it's a it's it's a huge risk you know it's damaging to you it's way more damaging to the person it happens to then and um you know first and foremost you need to put your morals first Um if you don't put your morals first uh you're going to crash and burn you're going to do something stupid so well you know that's why and I, well, I'll link the the David Dobrik article down below where we won't go into like all of the specifics because the yeah. article says it better than Aaron or I ever could. But yeah. you know, I think I think that's why I actually advocate more for that's why I, I push and why I was so attracted to and why the the idea of this hybrid model was so attractive to me mm. because you think of restaurants where it's like razor thin margins, they really need to fill seats, you know, like they're cutting staff, there's no resources for anything for the team. Um, XYZ, like that's an example of something that's like two on this end of the spectrum, right? And then you have the other example, which is like David Dobrik is so obsessed with the content or any of these other examples you've shared where it's like so metric focused. But it's like, what if what if you had something where it's like, you're not actually fussed up about making the content dramatic because you actually, mm. you have this in-person thing that you do that, you know, like that actually satisfies, like you, you don't want to sacrifice anything on the reputation of the one thing. And then, I think you and I can both acknowledge that like at a certain point, if a restaurant has 80 seats, you know, like maybe they can turn it once in an evening that like their capacity is 160 people, you know, at max, you know, so thinking about yeah. doing something online that can scale where you can like you're talking about with this, um, you know, pasta place in Canada where like they can reach people that don't even live there. Like that takes the pressure off of the brick and mortar to like constantly be redlining all the time to, to, to make profit. And that's I don't know. So I'm I'm hoping we see more of this this kind of hybrid model. Can we talk about product hunt for a little bit? Can we switch gears and you can Absolutely. either feel free to give like you know some sort of elevator pitch or an investor pitch like Shark Tank style if you want to like t tell people about product hunt and then you know even switch it on me of like how can I as a creator like start working with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the elevator pitch of product hunt is uh, pretty simple. It's um a home on the internet for finding uh, the coolest things in tech and outside of tech. Um, and it's decided by our community as well. So, you know, it's the home of new and interesting thing in tech. Um, we kind of call it the central hub or, you know, the newsroom of tech um, internally. But uh, essentially, um, if you have a product, you have a startup, in your case, you have a podcast, maybe you'll have a cooking book sometime, a recipe book. Um, and you wanted to post on Product Hunt, you can do so. And it's voted upon by the community. Um, you know, we have a massive community um, that log on every day. They upvote, they comment, um, they click through, they might buy it, uh, they might listen to the podcast. And very, like, the best way I could describe it is like an instant accelerator for your product. You know, it's a launch day accelerator. You know, you're stressing out, you're finally at day one, and you're thinking, how the, how the hell do I market this thing? Um, and then, you know, then there's Product Hunt. You put it on that, and it's just this absolute massive boost to your marketing, you know, if it goes well. You know, there's no guarantee it will go well. But um, it's just this huge boost to your marketing um, launch day. And then that's not to get confused as well. You still have to kind of keep that up yourself post-launch. But, yeah, um, you know, it kind of... In terms of the creator economy as well, you know, um, it's very, it's like a fulcrum to it. It's very central to it. Um, I feel, you know, it has a special place in a lot of creators' hearts for that reason as well. How do you, well, so I was, I was reading, uh, I was listening to a podcast with um, someone who was on the original team of like um, building out Reddit and they were talking about mm. um, like, how to prevent people from coming in and, and either spamming with bots or, you know, like coming in and being able to leverage attention in a way like how do you guys protect from that? Like how do you guys think through that and, and try to make sure that obviously like 
the people who are really in this for the goals that you're you've just outlined you know have the chance to succeed versus people that are spam 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 uh, spam a lots yeah <laughs> um well in terms of like the spam you know so we can have a final decision you know on the team cool and uh, so we can kind of we can put a stop to that straight away but um, in terms of general spam then it's like it's always being on top of it so we have so many different tech solutions to cut it down as much as you possibly can but that's then when the people come in you know internally and you kind of we kind of weed out the rest of it and um, our community helps a lot as well you know they report it to us and they're really good for that as well they put in some like seriously in-depth reports and i think that's because you know they have a vested interest in product doing well because that means their launch can do well so you know it's down to technological solutions and then having a solid backbone of the team to pick it up when tech technology fails because technology always fails that's one advice I give someone going into tech is it always fails at some point. There's also a really interesting piece there with your community. I mean, there's a, there's a graph, there's, there's language behind it, but there's like the, the, the really ambitious, like they'll, they'll try, they'll try anything for the first time. And then there's like the early adopters. Then there's the one after that. And then the, the mass adoption and whatever. And so to have this kind of like curated selection of those people who proudly stand as early adopters is like, that's huge. So I guess could you could you talk a little bit more more about like the value of that and because like for chefs too like this is also super important. I I'll see people who you know they do their pop up like their first thing or they're they're beta testing mm. their food on people, and you you actually want those early adopters to be a part of that experience versus the person who may or may not actually enjoy food or doesn't know how to articulate feedback about certain things. Yeah. Um... The early adopter, early adopters are so important, um, and getting the right ones as well is like super important, uh, because like if you put it like early adopters versus mass adoption, so people that typically coming into mass adoption aren't the people that are going to get your thing and be like super super enthusiastic about it, but if you are reaching mass uh, adoption, that means your early adopters are that people. You know, early adopters are typically the most enthusiastic people about it. And within Product Hunt then as well, we have like hundreds of early adopters that are still there. I would say the vast majority of early adopters are still there, you know, and they're still hunting products every day and they're still posting products, they're still commenting. And it's probably twofold, you know, they have a huge interest in tech and startups and figuring out, but they also have like a huge interest in the community that's built around Product Hunt because the community in many ways as well made their careers kind of take off if you get me you know they launched their own products so that's why it's so important to get the right early adopters because the right early adopters will lead to mass adoption of your product uh, you know you can know you can do so much with advertising and everything but word of mouth truly is the most effective way of getting to product market fit and the right people will do that for you what else would you want to see more of on Product Hunt from either chefs or, you know, winemakers or, you know, cocktail bartenders or, or mm. like, I think that as with most products and or services, they start, they, they benefit from starting incredibly niched down as you're sharing in tech specifically, but you gave me this is the suggestion of launching my, a cookbook on, on, on product hunt. And so I guess, um, I mean, I will, sh- I will share before you give your answer that I think that there's incredible value in trying to find where these underserved spheres are. So if like I were to launch a prod, uh, my cookbook on product hunt, I can only assume that it would probably do better than if I were to try to reach out to eater and be on their best cookbooks of 2021 things. Yeah. There's, there's so much competition for cookbooks specifically yeah. on eater, but like product hunt, like, you know, you, you reach these people who are, uh, as we're acknowledging early adopters, they're open-minded, you know, like maybe they're into food, maybe they're not, but like, they're willing to give you a shot and you're not going to have to compete with 17 other cookbooks on the site. And so I guess, what would you like to see more of, or what would be, you know, cool for you to, to see going forward? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I think like every kind of chef kind of uh, ventures into the product making sphere at some point, they at least dabble in it. Uh, they want to make their own knife roll up, their own apron or whatever. Um, but what I'd love to see more is one notebooks, you know, designed for chefs. There was one that was done maybe 
two two years ago. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Um, and I actually got it. It's upstairs. It's like a stone one or something. Yeah, stone. Was yeah. Like, yeah, they they did like a chef specific one or something from what I remember, and it was like super super cool. Um, as well as that, you know, cookbooks naturally niche down cookbooks. You no know, specifically do cultural recipes. Um, a knife roll up knives. I'd love to see you know handmade knives, custom made knives. Um, from home, just launch on that. You know, either doing like three order, three or three hundred orders a year, maybe or something for it. And it's just a super limited edition thing. I think that'd be sick. Um, podcasts. There, I think there needs to be like definitely like more podcasts in the cooking scene. Um, it's definitely growing, but we need more. We always need more. Um, but yeah, um, all those kind of things I'd, I'd absolutely love to see. Um, in it, and as well as that, maybe you know. This is kind of for chefs that are like maybe reaching that kind of stardom kind of stage with like, you know, their memoirs or whatever. Uh, you know, like if Anthony Bourdain, rest of soul, was still alive, I would have loved to seen uh, Kitchen Confidential if it launched today, Launch on Product Hunt. You know, it's one of my all time favorite books. But yeah. Totally. I want to switch gears to a, to a, to a fun segment before going into rapid fire questions. And it's because. Ooh. Your your very opinionated Twitter follow of mine, and I, oh. I just know that this this segment wouldn't work well with other guests that I have on the show who are you know maybe potentially a little bit more reserved. So I thought it'd be fun to do a yeah. quick round of overrated, underrated, and you can kind of share your thoughts Ooh. and potentially and potentially why. So so to start, using flowers on a dish, overrated, underrated. Oh, overrated. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> in general, I'm not like this like super plating kind of person. I like to make my dishes look nice, but I don't want to eat flowers. Even if they're edible flowers, I just don't want to eat them. You know, I'm sorry. The tulip looks too nice. I don't want to bite it. <laughs> overrated. Overrated. The, the TikTok famous feta tomato pasta dish. Overrated. Underrated. Oh, that's actually kind of a hard one. I would like, you know, it actually is tasty. I've done it myself. You know, it is tasty. One tip for that. I would I would say it's overrated. Okay, it's overrated. <laughs> but I'll give you one tip, everyone listening, is reserve some of your pasta water for that because they don't reserve their pasta water in that. And the sauce is like kind of like crumbly. It's like broken apart. Pasta water, you make the most much better. You know, you've got the starch, creamer sauce, keep it pasta water. Uh, if I see anyone throwing their pasta water down the sink, I flip out. <laughs> it's a crime. It's a crime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Natural food coloring agents. So I'm talking activated charcoal, spirulina, beet juice, those types of things to to add, either boost the color of something or turn something the color of something that it's not technically overrated. Yeah, underrated. I, I'd actually say underrated, uh, really, because I still don't see them being that popular in common day usage. Especially like spirulina and like beet juices, especially for pasta dough, you know, um, it's fantastic. Like a beet pasta dough, it's so vibrant. It's so cool looking. Um, spirulina, it's just like, oh, definitely underrated. Definitely. You can't, you can't get the level of quality from you know, the artificially ones. And plus you're getting a lot of weird stuff in those. So, I know we touched on cookbooks but in this age of being able to distribute your ideas in any sort of format whether it's on a tiktok or on a youtube channel or a podcast or whatever writing a cookbook overrated underrated um i would say it's still underrated um you know there's a lot of value to putting your thoughts and your experience on paper you know there's like a ton of value um in that and i think cookbooks themselves are overrated these days but writing a cookbook uh, it really puts into your life experience where you're at you know and where skills are and writing is always a great experience as well chefs doing a tour working abroad whether it's in south america or europe or asia or wherever overrated or underrated um i would say underrated but there is a caveat if you're going to do that, you have to be sensitive to, you know, cultural uh, food staples. And like, I don't want to get political stuff and everything and, you know, race and stuff. But like, if you're like, if you're me, a white guy from Ireland, and you're going somewhere to South America, you know, get in your lane and realize that you probably don't have the experience here. And, um, you know, learn, but be respectful. Uh, these are 
recipes that are handed down like your fat like your possible family recipe my family's recipe could be handed down hundreds of years you know so underrated you should do it if you get the opportunity but be respectful and don't try to own it i think there's also these like other pseudo benefits that come from an experience like that just from like the baseline of like leaving your comfort zone right like if you grew up i mean like i grew up in a tiny town in the in the midwest of the u.s and just like leaving there was so regardless of where i went it didn't really matter like that that Mm. decision actually was like the big the biggest value add from that moment of my life and so exactly yeah but it's common to think that you know I get the question all the time of like, oh, well, you worked in on the West Coast of Norway. Like, do you cook Scandinavian food all the time? And it's like, no, actually not. Like, I, I, I take some <laughs> things from there. I, I enjoyed my time, but I enjoyed my time there more. You know what I mean? I gained some, so much it. more experience there. And I don't feel like, but, but it's common to fall in the trap of feeling like, you know, if you spend time in Japan, you have to do something Japanese as part of your food now. And it's just, yeah. you, know, you and I are agreeing that's not, that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. It's more about like what you can actually take back, you know, and that could be like new techniques Um, specifically thinking like the new Scandinavian style uh, foraging would be kind of a huge thing. You know, it's what you can bring back. You don't have to like cook Scandinavian food all the time. I'll just be perfectly honest. I don't cook Italian food all the time. <laughs> so, you know, It's not even in my top three favorite uh, cuisines, actually. But yeah, there's something meditative about just dough work in general so i completely see where where you're coming from there uh all right let's do some rapid fire questions and then we can wrap it up here is is there a a book that's been particularly impactful for you in your career whether it's food related or tech or you know business or personal development yeah um i would kitchen confidential um i know that's probably like sounds cliche yeah yeah it's just it's so impactful in terms of the mind of Anthony Bourdain and the way he describes kitchen work is just phenomenal. And even going into that, then I could see from my own experience, he's not using hyperbole. It's true. You know, it's remarkable, but um, he also exudes this like level of love and respect, even through times of frustration. And that is just, you know, that kind of gets you through a lot. Well, it's also, as we're talking about these, examples you can give yourself i mean i feel like most people most people don't get 10 years into their cooking journey and then read kitchen confidential it's kind of like this thing you read early on and it's kind of this interesting Uh, filter of like how many people get through reading that book and then still decide yes i still want to cook professionally you know like it's a very interesting so true yeah that's Um, so that's that's so true and if you if if you can get through Kitchen Confidential and still want to go into Kitchen, then it's it's just made for you. You know, that's your career right there. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, is there a technique that you're still intimidated by in the kitchen? Um, it would be a dough working method, uh, the kneading method. Uh, there's actually two things that I'm still intimidated by. I think it's was it the Rubicon method or something. Uh, I can never remember where you're kind of doing that to need the dough as opposed to standard kneading um so anything with like super wet dough you do that um that's still intimidating and also knives are still intimidating to me and uh like i can cut fast and i can cut accurate but they're still incredibly sharp tools so i'm always wary of my pinky and my thumb so i'm still intimidated by them and actually frying um because i had one really terrible accident uh, a few years a few years back yeah yeah, I ice ice fell into the uh, oil and just oh my all God. over my arm. It's all good now. I put on like two liters of burn gel and I was like, "Good to go. Let's get back to service." But, um, yeah, dear God. Exactly. Exactly. What is one thing that you've changed your mind on in recent memory? Hmm. Um. Does it have to be cooking related? Does not have to be. Can be the state of the world. I mean, there's been a lot of changes to all of us lately but <laughs> yeah um i think it would kind of be um you know this is probably like divisive or something and um, you know but it'd probably be in terms of politics uh, you could probably tell i'm like a ridiculously political person online <laughs> anyway um would be going from kind of the belief in like social democracy to actual socialism uh, so people that don't know i'm absolutely a socialist now um, and that kind of happened over the past year 
really seeing the failures of like say capitalism within the pandemic um, and seeing you know people that I love and people that I don't even know as well thrown out uh, on the streets almost to fend for themselves that kind of was a big turning point of going from you know working within capitalism to get a better life and to abolishing it entirely um, as best we can so it's kind of going from left to leftist is uh, something that was a big pivotal moment for me over the past year and a big change of mind. It's good. There's there's no easy transition from there without kind of like deep diving into it and, and having a conversation. So I'm gonna that the transition yeah. has happened. The transition has happened. Yeah. You, let's, let's move past next. Ra- it's a true rapid fire question. We're, move, we're moving. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you've just won an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to waiting to have dinner with you. What is that restaurant and who is that person? Oh, God. Okay. Um, that's hard. Okay. Um, probably the restaurant that I really want to eat at is probably in Mies and in LA. Uh, really want to eat there. I didn't get the chance. And someone that I'd want to talk about, this is so, this is kind of funny, but probably be like Maddie Madison, <laughs> just because he's so hilarious. I'm not big, I'm not big into like the Michelin. Oh, either Maddie Madison or Massimo Bottoro. One of those two. What would yeah. you ask Massimo? Um, I would kind of just delve into his mind. You know, he got a lot of flack for the way he approached Italian cuisine for like a long time until people were like, okay, we sit down and try it. Um, so I'll probably ask him, how did you put up with that? Uh, having everything online, but having so much confidence in yourself to challenge these hundreds of years old norms and flip them on their head and still succeed. That's probably what I do. And then in terms of Maddie Madison, I just like, do you want a beer or something? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to cook, I mean, that... cook like, the biggest T-bone steak? On... <laughs> I mean, that conversation would just have no filter. You wouldn't be able to protect yourself from that guy. No, no. How, how how do you make your eggs in the morning? If it's a if it's a weekend or you, you know you're you're doing you're doing something nice for yourself in the morning, how do you mm. make your eggs? That's really good. Okay, so I have two slices of sourdough bread. Um, I don't make my own sourdough. I think sourdough is a bit overrated. Okay, <laughs> I I don't have I don't have the time to do it. I don't care. So two slices of sourdough bread. Um. A spiced cream cheese, um, and then I do my eggs, kind of like a mix between what I call English slash Irish style. I'm going to say Irish because I'm Irish, <laughs> um, and French style. So um, as opposed to being in a double boiler, it's just cooked super super low on the stove pot with both heavy cream and butter to start off with, um, and it just gets these like super 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 tiny curds, and it's like barely held together because um, you're constantly alternating the heat. It's definitely taking inspiration from Gordon Ramsay's technique as well. And so it's this mound of eggs, barely held together. Um, and then on top of that, some sriracha, because I love sriracha. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Sriracha, some pickled, some pickled red onions, and then couple that with a, a double shot of espresso. What is your, in your spice cream cheese? Is that? Oh, that's actually just, that's actually just one I get from a store. Oh, you can um, just buy it. A... Okay. You're... Yeah, I'm it's, learning. Um, I'm learning. Yeah, it's, um, it's just a chili infused. Uh, okay. Cheese. I'll actually send you the link to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's by Philadelphia. It's pretty tasty. Totally. More of a deeper question, and then this is going to be my last one before we wrap up. What do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? Um, that's a really, really good question. I think mentoring is probably the best thing they can do. Um, actually, one of two. Mentoring. Um, I think mentorship has kind of gone lost in recent years. Uh, I put that down to kind of the fame of where chefs are, you know, the angry chef or whatever, and they're screaming. I think mentorship is, one, somewhat more valuable than uh, culinary school itself. Um, and two, you know, a good mentor will keep you in the industry. And you keep wanting to go for that reason and uh, kind of instills this level of confidence. And then two as well. Is um, actually being active outside the uh, outside of the kitchen, um, you know, and that could be like joining a union or something. I don't want to push any political views, but that could be like joining a union and just fighting for better conditions for chefs coming in. That could be fighting for subsidies for culinary school, um, you know, for paying for getting uniforms paid for, better working conditions, and just making it a more attractive place to 
go to work because I, I always say that like you kind of have to be crazy and you kind of have to not fit in anywhere else to really excel in there um, but I don't think that has to be the way you know um, I think I'd like to see anyone that wants to be a chef to be able to excel at being a chef and live a comfortable life to your point on mentorship, and this is the one question that I'm okay not being rapid fire. I like that when these are extended extended answers. I think that there's this trapping that people fall into where they think that the mentorship, just by the nature of like how we go through school, like school moves without us uh, having any input. You know, like we don't have any, for a lot of us growing up, like we don't have a choice of what we're learning or who our teachers are or whatever. It kind of like we get swept through this whole thing. And I think that a lot of people when they get their first opportunity to have a mentorship relationship, they think that it also follows those same rules, but it has to be this two way thing where, and I yeah. like your point about keeping you in the industry because that when you're having those moments of doubt or crossroads or like, I just had a really shitty day like that. And it's not to say you need to bring all your problems to your mentor, but like if you're really mm -hmm. having a hard, like those are the moments when you would want to have that conversation with someone who you see as a mentor, at least I would, ho I would hope that people that are listening can, can look at it that way versus this idea of like the mentor can read your mind and know exactly what you want and what you, you know, are kind of pushing for. Like, I don't know. Is there anything you have to say, say on that? Uh, yeah, it's all about communication Um communication, communication for me. It was, um, you know, if I had a bad surface, it was the cleanup afterwards um, and being at the same cleanup station as say my mentor and talking through that. Um, and, you know, it can be a two-way kind of system of, you know, it can be empathetic, empathetic, but they can also put you in your lane as well. You know, that's so valuable to be like, don't get too big for your boots. You know, you made some dumb mistakes and I do expect better. But at the same time, I think there's this big difference between a mentor and, if I can swear, an asshole mm. in terms of a mentor will teach you before shouting at you, you know. Uh, before screaming at you but yeah um what i'd say to people is you know develop your communication um reach out you have to reach out to get a mentor you know you you absolutely do so for me it was with uh chef con marco and we connected through pasta i didn't care about first pasta until i saw him making pasta he's from naples um and that's how we connected and um you know, it's very therapeutic to have that relationship. And I would say it is intimate relationship. You know, you're telling your problems. He oftentimes told me, you know, what issues he might be having in the kitchen. And it's very kind of work together. That kind of way, sort of. You shared with me before we kind of hit recording that you've you've watched some videos and we've obviously been following each other for a while. So is, is there anything that... that you were hoping to bring up in this conversation or, or, or talk about that we could, you know, cover before we, before we drop. Um, I, I, I was going to say knives, but, um, I don't think I'm as much of a, a knife collector as you, uh, you're, you're big into it. And I, I respect that so much. I'm, I'm actually at a weird plateau with not, so I, I have a, I have a knife in a, in a box back there that I'm really excited to do a, a partnership for. And it, it might be live by the time this goes, live i'll share i'll share it here anyways for the people that listen this far into the interview it's a company in japan that is like the first knife i got out of culinary school and they are like super small production they don't do a lot of you know projects outside of like their key distributors in north america and they released a, a set for for home cooking and i reached out to my contact at one of these shops and they were like you know uh I said, I said, can I have one of these knives to, to review? Like, can we do a part, some sort of paid partnership content thing? And they're like, we, we're not getting them. Like, we, we can't get these knives. <laughs> so the, the long story short is that I reached out to them, the, the company on Instagram, and the deal is they sent me this knife. I'm going to do a video on it. But I had to agree to let my, my video be the thing that plays on their TV outside of their little shop in japan that's cool though. <laughs> it's super cool so i'm like beyond but it, it's it comes from the symptom of like i'm taking on and i'm, I'm i get excited about projects like that because i've done yeah. so many knife review videos that it's almost like does it cut food is there anything glaringly wrong with it you know it's like if i if it passes those things it's kind of like it works it's like does this match your aesthetic and your hand and does it feel good for you like there's so many subjective things that are individual that i just feel like 
my place to quote unquote review stuff is kind of like in a, in a weird place in my mind. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm kind of like coming around to it by looking at other reviewers of people who like MKBHD isn't really telling you anything that you've never heard before or that, you know, like you, yeah. you, you have, you can't read online about a phone, but like you watch his review because like you like his camera work and you like just, you just, it's, it's, it, it's entertainment, you know? And so think yeah. I've kind of like come full circle on it. So I'm not as down on my myself about my knife review videos but um yeah good keep keep going i wanted to share that as kind of like a fun end of the episode stuff for people yeah even just on that yeah sorry i have to kind of extend on that a little no, bit yeah. and that goes back to, that goes back to one point it's personality uh, so your knife review videos are better than um a blog because you have personality and you mm. know you bring personality into your videos hence why uh when a new iphone drops i go to mkbhd for the review as opposed to going to the verge sorry the verge i do like you but <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah um again goes back to that point about personality you know it's all about personality and all that stuff that you mentioned feeds into that you know the camera work uh the voice um you know tidbits of information um and also knives are super subjective so i can imagine they're hard to review you know it's a lot more subjective than a phone you know a phone is a phone is a phone <laughs> exactly any other topics you want to t chat through or, you know, things you want to cover? Um, I think that's kind of um, almost everything. Uh, oh, also because my Twitter people will absolutely be listening to this. Um, I want to clarify one thing. Italian is not my favorite cuisine. It's just interesting. Absolutely, absolutely therapeutic. Pasta is not my favorite thing in the world. Uh, my favorite cuisine is uh, typically uh, Southeast Asian, specifically on Indian and Pakistani cuisine. So, you know, if anyone thinks all I do is eat ravioli, they're lying to you. Okay. <laughs> it's not so funny. I mean, this is a little bit to the creator economy thing. And I'm going to share both, both sides of it. Like you put out enough stuff and people either think that that's who you are or you're the, you're the pasta guy, you know, like I even, yeah. you know, positioned a lot of my questions around it. Cause it's, it's something you share and it's something you're excited about. And then it's something that, you know, um, looks cool on the internet sometimes is like the stuff that you share versus the stuff that's like, Oh, I really geek out about, uh, if you geek out about a show right on Netflix, like what are your options to share content on that? You can post a long review video or you can post a really boring photo of you on the couch, like, and your TV. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's like, I really liked, I don't know, whatever, whatever show you're talking about. So that's interesting how like, uh, people's people's perception of you develops based on what you share. I'm always constantly mm. kind of like trying to keep that keep that mindful. And then, you know, to 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 get on my soapbox for a second on like why I push chefs so much to to create online and share their ideas online is is it's almost this this effect of if you don't do it, other people will do it for you. And that's when we talk about yeah. like, you know, the critic that comes to your restaurant and shares what they think about your um i'll use your thing like your mushroom ravioli dish like they'll share their thoughts on like where they think they, the idea came from or whatever but it's like why would you not take the opportunity to get ahead of that share that story in advance and then you know yeah. if someone tries to slander you you have your audience that knows the truth and they can back you up and say like no that's actually that's like you got it wrong like this critic doesn't actually understand what it is that you do um so it's it's funny both ways in in my mind yeah exactly it's all about having receipts, you know, yep. and specifically yep. with that. You have to have your receipts, and online means you always have your receipts. Um, it is funny, though, like, you know, how people, um, like, I've been called uh, Pasta King, Pasta Daddy, Pasta Zaddy, and a few other Pasta Boys and Master of Pasta Twitter, um, which is, well, there actually is Pasta Twitter as well, which is cool. But um, I have, like, a bunch of fresh pasta in my freezer right now from, like, past two or three weeks, and I haven't eaten it all. Yeah. Um, well, I think like it comes from this kind of thing as well that like I do always make pasta because that's I'm really good at making fresh pasta, like not to suit my own arm. I'm really good, so I really like doing it, um, and I really like sharing that. But yeah, it's so like interesting how it kind of became that way. You know, if people telling me to, especially like people in group chats on Twitter telling me to like make a pasta TikTok and stuff, which I'm working on. Um, but yeah. It's nuts. Um, then I never eat the stuff really anymore. 
<laughs> it's just never really eaten. For the for the rapid fire question section, I have like a list of like ten to twelve questions, and I don't always ask them all. But this is kind of like a fun mm. behind the scenes uh, for the show production stuff for people listening. I have a question that that asks. What is something that doesn't end up on your Instagram, as in you don't share it widely, but you really get excited about it or love? And even you telling me that, like, gives me validation that that's a good question to ask people. Because it's like, you don't know. Like, you just never know uh, what people yeah. are, are are fans. I mean, does anything, now that I asked it, does anything else come to mind as far as, like, you know, something you're really into, but you don't really share it all that often? Um. Yeah, Um. probably a good steak um you know with a pump puree um, and yeah. that's like you know that, that's like a classic classic recipe but i don't think for me steak can't look good i don't know what it is i <laughs> i've seen michelin steaks i've seen the i've seen the plating it just can't look good to me so i don't share it but you know i'll eat that every single day uh, for the rest of my life, steak with a pom puree, maybe like a fried egg on top or yep. whatever, just get messy with it. Oh, that's um, so, that's that, so Irish of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is in a pint of Guinness, you know. Actually, actually that's good. That's a nice idea. <laughs> but um, I'll never share it. Um, I, I, I shared a steak once, I think, on like my Twitter and uh, my Instagram or something. And I hated how it looked. And from there on, I was just like, no, you know, that. That's my that's my dirty secret is that I eat steaks. I guess. Well, here's to you know hoping that in the non-pandemic times we can maybe share a meal together, or you know if you ever end up yes. on this and you know stateside, then we can you know hang out. It's it, it's been a pleasure to kind of like put a put a face in a conversation to the to the Twitter handle, my man. So yeah, thanks yeah, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. What's up? Justin here again, because, I mean, if you're still listening, you didn't not like this episode, right? And if that's the case, I'd like to think that you'd get value from the other work that I share here online. It's all focused on helping chefs and hospitality professionals perform better. If you don't have a lot of time, the best place to start is with the email newsletter that I write every single week called the 80-20 Edge. That's where I share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. And I say it saves time because I include all of the content that I publish that week all in one place as kind of a weekly digest of sorts. Next up, you should check out my YouTube channel for gear reviews, clips from podcasts just like this one, and documented experiences from some of the best restaurants in the world. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about my intense cohort-based professional development focused course, get coaching from me to help you make your next move, or just support the show, you can check out justinconnacom support. And if you do support this show already, that's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Finally, it really does help to share a review of this show on Apple Podcasts to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. And until the next episode, my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.